Welcome to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. What are you hungry for? This week's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's always the same situation with this household. Martha is serving again, the men are reclining at the table again, and Mary Mary is worshiping her Lord again, only this time she's leaned in and gone full-on charismatic, pouring perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping them with her hair. Wow. I mean, imagine being at the dinner table and suddenly that happens. A woman, one of your hosts, breaks open a jar of perfumed oil and uses her hair to wipe it all over another guest's feet. Wow. And Judas, ever practical, Judas raises a complaint about the least weird thing in this whole scene. Shouldn't this perfume have been sold and the money given to the poor? Now, I knew long before I went to seminary or had any formal theological education that it was probably bad news to find oneself in agreement with Judas. But I hear that. I hear that complaint. I get that. And I'm not always as eager to hear Jesus' response. He says, you will always have the poor among you. Is that supposed to be some sort of comfort? We will always have the poor among us? Will we also always have the hungry? Will we also always have the depressed, the sick, the lonely? Will we always have veterans broken by wars they don't understand and neglected by a government which has no more use for them? Will we always have children suffering from PTSD, from active shooter drills and the occasional or not so occasional school shooting? Will we always have prisons filled with debtors? the marginalized, the addicted, the mentally ill? Will we always have women blamed for the sexual assaults, the domestic abuse, the violence they suffer? Will we always have gay and lesbian folks at risk of losing their homes, their properties, their children, their rights? Will we always have transgendered kids abused by their schools, by the adults in power? Will we always have transgendered folks ostracized and even murdered for embracing their identity? Will we always have people terrorized by the KKK, the Proud Boys, Nazis? 
Will we always have black and brown folks shot down in the street by the police? Will we always have children in cages at our borders? That's still happening. All of these things are still happening. Is it just always going to be this way or worse? Well, I don't want any of that, and I believe that the God I worship doesn't want any of that either. And I believe that those are urgent concerns. I certainly believe that they're urgent concerns to the people experiencing those things. So why can that wait? Why can that wait when real people are hurting and suffering and dying? Why can that wait when Jesus says repeatedly that we love God by loving our neighbors? Why can that wait when Jesus shows us repeatedly how to love God by loving our neighbor? Why can that wait when Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends? Well, let me put my body between ICE and immigrants. Let me put my body between white supremacists and people of color. Let me put my body between school boards and trans kids. Let me put my body between all of the bigots of this world and the marginalized, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Mary, sell the perfume and let's go to the border. Let's go to the courthouse. Let's go to the prisons. Let's do something. Let's go. But that's somehow Judas's voice in this passage. So why? Why can that wait? Well, that work can wait when we are called to something more pressing, to someone, the only one, who is more important than all of those other concerns, called to take the opportunity to choose the better part and to spend some time being with, worshiping our Lord. Now, it seems like the absolute height of folly to engage in the extravagance of worship with this broken world crumbling around us with so many people suffering and dying around us. That's the challenge of this text for me, anyhow. In that first story of Mary and Martha, you know, the one where Martha is busy about the household and Mary is just sitting around listening to Jesus, I get it there. In that story, I get it. You'll never find me caught in the indecision between choosing to vacuum the floors or to pray. That work can wait. But when the choice is feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, protecting the vulnerable, or stopping to pray, well, it doesn't seem like that work can wait. The work seems urgent and necessary, vital. And worship seems like a self-indulgent bother. But that work of kingdom building has to be grounded in God's presence, in God's word. We need that time with our creator to be reformed in God's image. We need that time with our redeemer to reclaim the freedom that fuels our mission. And we need that time with our sustainer to be renewed in the spirit that leads us into this work. When we don't do that, when we neglect the precious time we have with our Lord, this work can make us exhausted, embittered, dead. That's no way to love anybody. It's certainly not the way to love others as Christ first loved us. In the face of all the madness of this world, we have to touch base with Jesus to remember who he is and what he said. In the midst of the despair of famine, the cruelty of poverty, the destruction of blight, we remember, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. In the midst of the sorrow of loss, 
the terror of war, the weight of oppression we remember. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. In the midst of bigotry, of racism, of sexism, of homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, of all of the forces that seek to cast others out, to abandon people as though they aren't people, we remember, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you. Rejoice and be glad. Blessed are you. Holy are you. We remember then that God has got us. Somehow God has got this. Now that doesn't mean we get to let go and let God. We're partners in this work, citizens of this kingdom. It does mean, however, that the salvation of the world does not depend on us. It might feel like it, but that's not a burden any of us is shouldering. God has got that. Whatever that mess is, God has got it. It's been worked out in the person of Christ and will come to a fullness of glory when Christ returns. The ruler of all that is seen and unseen, the great I am, the source of all being and being itself, the one who conquered an empire by dying and who destroyed death itself by getting up again. That God has got this. We have that assurance. We can live into that assurance. And so we can relax a bit again and breathe again and know that when the opportunity to be present with the Lord appears again, we can and must choose the better part for our sake and for the sake of those we seek to serve.